Thank you for taking the time to download this podcast from Rosendale Research School. If you've enjoyed it, why don't you sign up for our monthly newsletter? You can do this via our website at rosendale.researchschool.org.uk. Welcome to the Rosendale Research School weekly podcast. Um, I'm joined by Matthew Criddle and Tom Mill, who are two. Tom is our curriculum leader here and Matthew is a lead practitioner and also leads on reading at the school. Matthew, could you tell me more about your role as a a leader of reading at the school? I know you'll conduct some research into your reading as well in year two. Yeah, so reading is a a whole school focus this year. And myself and uh, one of the deputies, Jane Boothroyd, are currently in the midst of a, a, a reading audit. So we're going into all the classes and we're seeing reading being taught. And we're also looking at all the other ways in which um, teachers are supporting reading in their classrooms. So this is, you know, this is something that is, uh, has come about. Uh, actually, I'll talk a little bit about the Matthew effect because I know that this is, Doug, you, you, you're familiar with this, aren't you? Yes, this, this yes. an idea that we became familiar with in recent weeks. It's not a new idea. It's been around for a long time, but the Matthew effect uh, derives from a, a quote in in the Bible, as you might expect. And the verse is the one that essentially translates as the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. And it's been mm. applied in lots of different fields. It's been applied in uh, uh, in scientific research and economics, and but it. It very much applies to reading, because what 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 happens and what we've what we've seen happen uh, with our children is that, of course, once we first of all learn to read, and once we've learned to read, we then read to learn. Yes. And those children that are at that stage of fluency where they're starting to read to learn, they're got beyond the struggle of the mechanics, the deep cognitive processes involved in learning to read, which is it is a challenge, but once they have that sorted, the, the world opens up to them. And there isn't really an aspect of the academic curriculum that doesn't require reading. And convert, conversely, if you don't have that, everything starts, feels difficult and negative attitudes and cycles start to you, develop. And you are absolutely hobbled by a lack of fluency in reading. Even maths, for sure, there's loads of number in maths, you know, and there will be children who there are certain aspects of maths because there's nothing, you know, wrong with their kind of cognitive abilities. You know, they, they're fine. But as soon as it gets into those, all those areas of maths where you're kind of reading, you know, reasoning questions, they're stuck, you know, and that gap just gets wider and wider and wider. And then of course, yes, they just, they become increasingly frustrated with the whole kind of, you know, a school culture because yes. everything becomes a struggle and I'll, I'll tell you Matthew it's, this is not a bit of research evidence it's an observation but I've been a teacher for 8 years now so 8 classes 250 kids I'd say I have never yet I, I don't think there's one exception I haven't seen a child who reads widely that isn't also thriving at school Yeah, it's not to say there aren't children who don't read in conventional ways that, are, that can't thrive that do. Yeah, but, I, but, but I've seen an almost perfect correlation. correlation yeah the child reads they're engaged they're excited about their education they're thriving everything else follows yeah and I think also 
and this is something that we're, we're starting to think about more deeply now about how, how reading is taught and I think my feeling is that because of the reading tests in the end of year two and the end of year six where of course comprehension is tested that there is quite a focus on teaching comprehension skills when in fact I feel and again I'm, I, 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 I'm not I'm not citing any evidence for this mm. however it feels intuitively correct to me that if you are able to read a text fluently comprehension flows from that whereas what 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 children can do and i've seen this time and again you can just about scrape a pass and not be fluent because they children and we teach strategies you kind of look for clues in the text question or yes and I think probably the kind of what we call the, the inferencing questions are more problematic, but you can certainly pick up a lot of marks when the questions are those information retrieval ones. And it's very simple just to look for certain words yes. in the question in the text and you can kind of work it out. And, and I read a good analogy um, recently, which said that, you know, it's, it's as though you've got, if you imagine a, one of those kind of impressionist pointillisme paintings where it's just made up of lots of dots. If you've got a few dots, an incomplete picture, but you can just about kind of work out what the picture the is. Yeah. And this is what comprehension is like for children who lack fluency. They've got just enough dots. It's a struggle, but they can just about do it. But if you've got all the dots, it's completely effortless. You're looking at the picture, you can say what it is. I'm sure that's right. And there is there is evidence. I mean, I've, I know of two big sort of syntheses of evidence on the impact of independent reading okay, yes. of, of, from the last 10 or 12 years. One was the National Literacy Trust and one was the um, de- research department at the DfE. And what comes out of them is this um, idea that almost involuntarily, almost without conscious effort, children come and learn to understand what they're reading. I mean, not just that, there are many other benefits as well in terms of learning vocabulary and to use writing and grammatical style. But the understanding just emerges as a... So so once you can decode effectively, then you're saying that the rest follows. Once you are are fluent, comprehension naturally comes... Okay. Once you have habits of reading and you read widely for pleasure... That will volunteer. Okay. Um, so one of the things you know that we're certainly doing in uh, we're doing in year two this year is putting a focus back on 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 fluency, reading for fluency. What I'm constantly aware of is how much how much time do the children in my class and my year group have to read to and you know ideally reading aloud. Yes. And, you know, a few years ago, we, like most schools, we had a, you know, a a guided reading uh, system for reading. But the thing with that was that children were only reading aloud to a teacher, literally, for like, I don't know, like two minutes a week. Yes. This is clearly not enough, is it? Two minutes or three minutes. So what, you know, we're, 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 we're doing a few things, really. We're trying to ensure that as much as possible through through topic and, and, and we teach topic the wider curriculum through our in our English lessons. The children are reading then, they were reading 
and we and we use nonfiction a lot actually. Yes. Uh, because of course it's a brilliant way of of build of building up a, a, a knowledge of the wider world. So they're reading during their English lessons. So uh, we we're, we're studying explorers at the moment. So when they're learning about Amelia Earhart, they're reading about Amelia Earhart. We also have specific reading sessions where again we're using a text at Rosendale. <clears throat> we have cooperative learning teams, so children are constantly reading aloud to their partners. Um, and then on top of that, I am. The teachers are also taking out small groups, typically for children, and that is the one time where actually they are uh, grouped by ability, and so we're all reading the same text, appropriate to their level, and I am then hearing them read individually. Um, so there's sort of three main thrusts to address this uh, this 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 issue of developing reading fluency, as well as then of course nurturing a culture of of reading within the classroom and 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 conveying the joy that can be that can be had from reading so every teacher is reading to the class from the class book every day for 15 to 20 minutes we in year two we have children come in and share their favorite books we call it book and tell and so children start to want to read the books that their their peers are reading yes yes so you're, sh- you're showing the kids that you value, value reading and they start to, to take it for granted yeah. that reading's important yeah. and then you're pushing it to an open door. And again, I don't have any evidence for this, but I suspect that compared to 20, 30 years ago, we're, we're less... We're, it's not that we're not a reading society because we are reading, but I wonder, are we reading tablets and phones and are we, are we not reading books as much? Are children... Seeing reading at home and in the same way that we and it's play. more in for shorter periods. I, I it strikes me sometimes the stillness in the class when the whole class are reading is noticeably different from the rest of the day, and I yes. think from probably much of their experience outside of the school as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's also important because the the stillness and the calmness is is part of reading and it's something you have to to learn to do yeah and i you know speaking personally i i find reading sustained concentration on the book harder now than i did five years ago and i have to ensure that my my phone is nowhere near me just too many distractions too many distractions yeah and and this is what families are up against yeah absolutely so many distractions and we myself and jane last last week led a, uh, a session after school for, for parents, both to talk about how we teach reading at Rosendale, but also actually, you know, to, to, to convey to them the importance of their role in this. Um, we don't set homework at Rosendale, but what we do ask is parents to share books with their children every day where possible, uh, to read to their children um, and to hear their children read. But we had, it was an opportunity actually to, to, to talk to the parents about well we understand that this you know with the the, 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 the all the distractions now it's this is this is hard and so parents you know came up with some good ideas themselves okay. about how best to to support their children at home and they were talking about whenever you go out 
you know, take a book with you because you might be sitting in a restaurant or whatever and you've got five minutes. Um, record your child's reading on a chart with rewards. That works well as an incentive. Of course, use your local library. Get your child to read to a, a sibling or a pet or a toy. Yes. Anyway, yes. These, these actually all these ideas are on, uh, have been uh, on every, every class blog. But it was a good set. It was a useful session. And that's great that it was the, the parents that came up with those because I think we... We may have children ourselves, but often we don't know what goes on at home. And it's great that these sort of things are recommended by parents at home doing that. Fred, I know you, you've got to shoot off, Matthew, very quickly. Your observations, you say you've gone around to a few classes at school. Yeah. Any, any any sort of things you notice straight away to do with reading that you think, that's different or that seems to work? or um, Well, certainly, you know, one of the things that we, we, we moved away from a couple of years ago is was guided reading and from year three up and actually I can let Tom perhaps say a little bit more about this because I'm due back in class but we now uh, have something called reciprocal reading where the whole class is sharing a book and the children are reading aloud to each other and then answering comprehension questions but I, I, I have a feeling that perhaps this should be more emphasis put on the children reading aloud and less and and, and slightly less on, on the comprehension during yes, those reciprocal the, reading sessions. That in, increasing it's about increasing fluency. And it and that is just from from reading. I mean lower down the school, you know, of course we teach phonics, uh, and all those kind of decoding skills. But we need to be mindful just to increase the opportunities for And if, for, and if for you're reading, reading Albeit only perhaps to one other person. Yes. That's more desirable, possibly in reading to yourself, where you're not necessarily going through all the motions as you would to really gesture what's happening to someone you're reading to. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Matthew. So, uh, Tom, just uh, interesting, we're talking there with Matthew um, about when you can read confidently, all other knowledge seems to follow through that joy of reading and through that habit of reading. Is that, I mean, talk about a bit more in that area, perhaps. Yeah, because, um, I'm, it makes me think of a, um, an anecdote that our head teacher, Kate Atkins, um, told the staff once, which was about a, a boy who was um, reading a text. And it, it transpired that he'd not seen a swan and... and didn't know that it was a, a white bird that lives on water. And yes. as a consequence, the, the text was just incomprehensible yes, to him. Yes. And at one level, that you can see that as a gap in his general knowledge and experience. But I, for me, it's symptomatic of something deeper. Um, I've seen the same in reading comprehensions when I've been teaching year five and year six. Two that spring to mind. One was there was a reading comprehension about... Um, the larva of a dragonfly that lived at the bottom of a murky pond. And it was, um, for some children who just hadn't, didn't read widely, didn't have wide experience of the world, it was just too strange and too different to too be, accessible almost to be understood yeah. at, at any level. And, um, actually in last year's SATs, there was a strange, um, piece, last year's year six SATs, where there was, um, a girl who seemed to live in, a, if I remember correctly, a, a parallel world oh, of yes. some sort. And she, there was a meteor, meteor storm taking place and she went to collect an old music box from inside the crater of a volcano. Um, 
very strange. And for some children who had read and a wide range of books and fantasy mm. and knew what a music box was and understood the idea of parallel worlds, they could make sense of this slightly strange yes. text. But for others, it was just a complete and total mystery. Um, I read that Philip Pullman, actually, it struck me, spoke about reading for pleasure and he talked about the way that a reader connects with a text and the back and forthness of when you read a book. It's not it's sort of not a lecture, it's a conversation. The, right, book, yeah. the book proposes questions and the reader answers them for themselves. And the book responds again. And you come to understand the world in that way. So it's, it's like a window onto the world. So, uh, I mean, I was reading Winnie the Pooh to my class and if you've messed around doing nothing with Winnie the Pooh yes. and Christopher Robin or you saw, you understand something or yeah, if you yeah. wild away the time on the riverbank with Rat, Ratty and Mole you understand something yes if you know the adventures of a refugee bear that was found at Paddington Station and negotiated his way around London you understand something yes if you've been at sea with Long John Silver villainous Long John Silver you know something about the world um, you've looked through different eyes, you understand it just that little bit more deeply. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it, the, the whole thing that, you know, after all, books are written by people and it is a really good way to learn interactions and things like that because generally speaking, unless it's very severe friction or something, it, 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 it's going to teach them about, well, this is generally how it works and how it happens, isn't it? And another way, how relationships work sometimes. Yeah, and there's, there's an infinite number of ways to see and understand the world. And the more different ways that you read about and experience through yeah. books, the deeper and more flexible and more general your understanding will be, which is what I think Matthew was yes. saying. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, now... So, Tom, perhaps to conclude with, um, I was wondering if this, what evidence you're aware of of reading, or the act of reading, narrowing the gap in educational attainment. Is there much research on that, the, the power of it? Well, both of the reports, both of the um, research synthesis I mentioned, that you mentioned um, before, yes, quoted um, an OECD report from, um, I think, 20 years ago now, saying that reading enjoyment was more important for children's educational success than their family's socioeconomic status. So saying that it had more impact on narrowing the gap than, um, than, than their social circumstances. However, the difficulty is that children from socially disadvantaged backgrounds yes. tend on average to read less than their peers. So this doesn't operate very often, so I don't think it's fully explored. Yes, but I think it it's um, it follows from everything we've said that if children from any background read widely, they'll benefit for all the reasons that we've been discussing, and that will be totally unsurprising. Yes, I mean, and you, you used the example uh, when we were talking to Matthew about your classes over the last eight years that you'd never really met somebody who didn't read. 
that, that wasn't sort of more broadly knowledgeable and, and higher attaining than other people. I mean, there must, there will be, of course, some that really don't value reading that will attain higher, but it's a generally a high correlation. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the vocabulary comes with it, the ability to understand and use complex sentences, the writing style comes with it, the understanding of the world comes with it. And I find that all completely predictable. Um, I mean, another way I, I thought of that you can look at it, there's a, there's a, there's the Hart Risley study that's often referred to where children, um, professional families here on average, I think it's 30 million more words oh, than a child yes. from a family living in relative poverty. That's just within conversation. Generally. That's just within conversation. Yes. But of course, you can apply exactly the same, um, idea to reading and you, you multiply through the numbers and you get well. to many millions more words read a year by a child who reads confidently and frequently independently yeah. to one who doesn't. And you can even extend the analogy one step further because Hart and Risley pointed out it wasn't just the number of words, but it was the type of words and the open-ended nature of conversations. Okay. And of course, a child who reads a variety of genres, a variety of literatures, who reads some of the best children's literature that's been read is going to be exposed to more ideas than a child who reads less and reads more narrowly. Yes. Well, Tom, thanks ever so much for joining us. It's it's a really interesting, we probably can't do it justice in the time we've done it, but thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to the Rosendale Research Hall podcast. We'll see you again soon.